Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we pray by the mighty power of Your Holy Spirit that You would speak to our hearts this morning through Your Holy Word. Father, that You would give us the ears to hear and the minds to understand and the hearts to receive what we need to hear this morning from the Holy Scriptures. Father, that You would challenge us, teach us, guide us, correct us, and that You would do it all for Your glory. We love You and we praise You and we honor and we thank You, Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. Well, I think you guys can all agree with me on this point this morning, most of you all, if not all of us, that um, after a difficult week in our families, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or you're a future parent, you can understand that parenting is very, very difficult. Amen? Amen. All right. I got my one quota amen for this morning, so I appreciate that. Uh, Parenting is very difficult. It's a huge responsibility. It's a, it's a responsibility that our children don't understand until they become parents, right? And, um, and then they begin to come back to us and thank us, and oh, I'm sorry, and, uh, you know, I was this person, and da 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 And uh, you were like, you know, we're, we're, we're appreciative of those things. I remember those conversations with my parents, understanding and realizing, um, let's see, what's the appropriate word? My grandmother would call me a pill. That's what I was. <laughs> Uh, she said, you're such a pill. And, um, but it, it's difficult, and I didn't realize that then, but I realize it now, and it's such a weighty responsibility. Um, I'm, I'm constantly reminded of the Old Testament priest Eli, who served faithfully in the temple, and yet he didn't faithfully take care of the spiritual needs of his family. And what happened? His two sons blasphemed the work of the temple, and uh, disgraced his, uh, his reputation, his ministry. And so I come to you this morning, um, and I hope that Amy and I never portray that we have parenting down, because it is a, it is a, a constantly an evolving process of, of growth and repentance and growth and repentance, uh, because we are desperately seeking the grace of God to help us in that endeavor. But regardless of the difficulty of parenting, parenting is the greatest joy I think we can ever experience outside of heaven and Jesus Christ. Because God has blessed us with incredible children that allow us to see even our own sin. <laughs> that it, it, Our children, in essence, are a part of our sanctification in Christ Jesus. Because He uses them to teach us. And we find joy in them regardless of what we go through, we find joy in them. And as we've talked in this uh, study in 1 Thessalonians, as we go verse by verse and we focus on these things, we have seen the Apostle Paul and refer to himself as a spiritual parent. And he is finding joy in the lives of these Thessalonians. And so I want us to be careful that as we approach this book of the Bible and we kind of build up and hold the Thessalonian church on a pedestal, we have to understand that, that Paul loved the Corinthian church and they were, they were worldly. <laughs> they were 
they were struggling with all kinds of immorality and He still loved them as a father loves his children. So can we just be reminded as we begin this morning that as parents of children, we love them unconditionally. Amen? We love them regardless of what perils and trials and difficulties they take us through because God has ordained that in our lives to be shaped and molded by those sufferings and by those trials. So we are learning about Him and our trust in Him even in those dark days. And so um, I say that not because I've experienced those yet with my children, but because I won't be surprised if I go through them. Because I'm not naive to think that my children are, you know, these gracious little angels. I try to tell them as much as I can that they're dirty little sinners. I'm not kidding. Uh, with love and care, of course. But the point is, is that as we think about this book and this study, I want us to see that the Thessalonian church was a joy for Paul. And they were a joy for Paul because of their um, love of Christ, their faith in Christ. And, and the truth is, is that Paul per, uh, personified a fatherly and a motherly relationship with these churches. And I think that we can learn so much from his example. We can learn so much from his example as we minister and care for one another. And as we love and care for the community and for the people around us, we can learn how to be mothers and fathers to each other and to them. And so I think the problem a lot of times in churches is, is that we, we base that on age. So I can't teach uh, a, a, a gentleman that may be older than me because he's older than me and I want to respect my elders. But the truth is, is the Bible never says exhort one another or admonish one another according to your age. It doesn't say that. Because we all have the Holy Spirit, we all have the grace of God, and we have all our different things in different seasons of our lives that, that we can admonish and care for one another. That's the church. It is a group of different parts of the body making up one body. And so today... As we conclude chapter 2 and, and really breeze through quickly chapter 3, what I want us to focus on today is the joy in faithful children. Because our children bring us joy. And particularly Paul is talking about this in essence when he looks back on the lives and the ministry of the Thessalonian church and he finds joy in their faithfulness. Now I want to be careful this morning and, and be sensitive to, to many of us here because in our minds immediately the thought pops up of maybe children in your lives that aren't faithful to Christ. And, and so I want us to be careful and be sensitive to that and, and to know that, that we constantly want to lift and pray for those children and trust in the sovereignty of God that He will save them. That they are, they are not without hope. They still have opportunity to come and know Christ. And so we constantly want to bring our prayers before and, and plead on behalf of, of those kids and those children, just as much as I pray for my children, that we should pray for one another's children. So that we can say, God, would you please, by your sovereign grace, save these children for your glory. So if that's you this morning... That is our prayer. And, 
And as we come to understand the church as a whole, I want us to learn how to minister to one another, how to find joy in faithful children. And one way that we do that is, is a word that is, is gaining popularity in the church this morning, and it's called the joy of community. So if I could take us back in time to 20 and 30 years ago in the church, I would say the joy in fellowship. Okay? So you think of the word, if you're you know, 40 and up, you probably think of the word koinonia in the Bible, and you think of the word fellowship, and the contemporary translation of that, or, or the, the way that's evolved is just into the word community, and it's the same idea. Is the unity and the fellowship and the, 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 the cohesion of all of us together as a body of Christ. And so what Paul is talking about in this first idea here is that we have joy as a church in community together. Look with me here in verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul is struggling as a pastor because he has been separated from these young Christians, these young children of his um, in ministry. He loves them. And he literally, the, the, the word there in verse 17 is to be torn away, or literally it means to be orphaned. That's, that's where we get the word orphan from. He was literally orphaned from his children. These ones that he cared for, these ones that he brought up in the faith in Christ and, and discipled, even for a short time, and he was hurting because he was away from them. This is just, again, reminding us of the love that this brother in Christ, this leader of the church, had for his spiritual children that he uses such strong words to say, I was literally ripped away from you for a short time. But then he says, in person and yet not in heart. He's saying, look, I, I was ripped away from you and I, I want to come back to you, but I just want you to know that may, we may not be together in person, but we are together in heart. My heart is still with you. I still care for you. I still love you. Isn't this the sense of not only pastoral care for a, a, a congregation, but the community of love that we should have for one another. That when we are apart from one another, when we are separated from each other as a community of believers, that we desire to be with one another. Folks, the, the truth is, is that God created us for community. We were made to be with one another. We were not made to be isolated Christians on an island. We were made to literally encourage and love and care for one another. And we have bad weeks and we have bad seasons in our lives. And Satan convinces us at times that no one understands what we're going through. And so we need to be by ourselves. And if you're a kid uh, in, in, in church this morning, go ahead now and learn to fight the fear or fight the, the, the desire to, to isolate yourself and be alone because as an adult, it does not change. 
When things are difficult and things are hard, our natural sinful reaction is, I need to be by myself. And let's be honest, being isolated and being alone and, 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 and having solitude with the Lord is not wrong. Matter of fact, the Word of God encourages us to do that. But let's be honest with ourselves, folks. When we isolate ourselves because we had a bad week, we're not going and having a, a Bible prayer time and studying Scripture, right? We're indulging in two or three seasons of Netflix or, or, or climbing up in, in a tree and, and hunting for 16 hours. I mean, whatever it is that you do to isolate yourself, most of the time you're not soaking in the Word of God. Because isolation a lot of times leads us to feel sorry for ourselves. It leads to self-pity. And it is keeping us from the unity and the joy and the love that we should have as a community of faith. That we should be together and going, what is going on with you? How can I pray for you? How can I be there for you? I may not understand what you're going through, but I understand you. And I understand Christ's grace for that situation. And so Paul, being torn away, says, look, I love you, I care for you, but my heart is still with you. I want to come to you. I want to be there with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to teach you and love you as I'm required and, and, and desire to do. In 2004, a giant tsunami wave hit the Indian came from the Indian Ocean and hit an area in Thailand and in that one situation thousands of people that were on the beaches had no idea no warning and they were separated from their families matter of fact a movie was produced called The Impossible and it was a great movie it was it was an intense movie of a, of a, a woman uh, and her family, and they're all on the beach of this beautiful resort, and this tsunami wave comes, and they start running, and immediately she is separated from her husband and her children in a matter of a second. And this entire gripping movie is about them finding their way back to each other by the end. So, sorry, spoiler alert. And she's with her son, and the husband's across the, 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 the city, and I mean, everything is destroyed, they're disoriented, they have no idea what's a building and where to go, and, 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 and yet they find their way back to each other. There was, now let's stop and let's get something to eat, or let's stop and, and, and talk and, and conversate. No, it's every bit of energy I'm going to expel in my life is to get back to my children. And this is the idea that Paul is saying, I want to be back with you. I love you. I have to be near you. So the, the idea in our church body and in our lives is that we should strive to be with one another. We should strive to, um, to care for one another, to love one another, and to learn from one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. And he says, Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. So Paul, desiring to be with these 
Thessalonians, not just because he is a pastor, because he calls them his brothers. Verse 17, we are torn away from you, brothers. So he is looking to them and saying, I care for you and I want to be with you as my brothers. But here's the problem. A lot of times when we are together, when we are, when we are uniting in fellowship and worship, that brings upon spiritual attack from the enemy. So not only does community bring joy, but community brings spiritual attack. That's what Paul says. I wanted to come to you. I wanted to be with you. But I was hindered by Satan. And if you can remember back, if we've studied the context of what, where Paul is writing this, and, and I'll just ask you to note this in your notes, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, where Paul goes to Thessalonica and he begins ministering there. And in that ministry, he is literally ripped away. The Jews see the work of God moving and working, and the Jews, the Bible says, get jealous, and they begin attacking the Christians, and they cart Paul off in secret, and they can't find Paul, and they can't find Timothy, and they can't find Sylvanus. And so what do they do? They grab the first Christian they can see, a guy named Jason, and they start you know, uh, mistreating him and persecuting him until finally they let him go free. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that, that by night, Paul sneaks off and continues his ministry. That Paul is literally torn away from this ministry. Why? Because Satan is in the business of attacking the fellowship and the unity that we have among us as believers in Christ. He is going to disrupt our fellowship and he is going to disrupt our strategy and attempts to spread the gospel to engage in gospel ministry. Matter of fact, we see all throughout Scripture the, the activity of Satan in the lives of believers and unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 7.5 tells us that Satan tempts the believers uh, at times personally and even corporately. We see in Ephesians 6 and 1 Timothy 3 that Satan is said to have schemes and he lays snares to trip our walk up in Christ. These are all um, ideas of, of Satan attacking believers. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light because he is the great deceiver. Not for the sake of necessarily unbelievers, but to deceive us as Christians. And so Satan's work in the life of the church is to lay tr obstacles, is to, is to lay snares before us to tempt us to fall. Why? So that the gospel work that has been given to us will be hindered. That's the word here. Satan hindered us. He laid an obstacle before us. But of course, Paul is not going to allow the obstacles to keep him from the ministry. And, and, and we and likewise should respond to Satan and say, we are not going to stop because something has been hindered. Remember when, when Paul was heading to one area of ministry and his missionary journeys, and the Bible says that, that, that he was hindered, and so he was redirected, right? And he went a, a different way in ministry. So he didn't stop and go, well, closed door of opportunity. I guess I'll just hang up my hat. Instead, he continued to do what God had called him to do. He continued to persevere and push on in the gospel ministry. We also should be aware, folks, that as believers in Jesus Christ, not only is Satan trying to tempt us up, but as we learned last week in Matthew 13, he is trying to snatch away the gospel from unbelievers. 
that as we lay that seed, as we cast that seed forth before people, that Satan is wanting to snatch that away and to keep them from hearing the truth of the Scriptures. And so, Father, uh, folks, what I want us to, to understand is that Satan is at work. He, he is active. He is not passive. He is trying to destroy what we do. And he will attack us as a church. He will attack us and try to, to, to drive a wedge of disunity in our community of faith. He will try to do that so that we are disgruntled at one another and, 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 and disjointed fighting one another instead of focusing on the mission that God has given us to focus on. And that's exactly what a wolf does to a pack of sheep. He divides and he picks off the weak ones one at a time. Because he knows that with a, a herd of sheep is more difficult, right? And so what's he going to do? He's going to divide the sheep and as the sheep scatter, he's going to pick them off one at a time. And so, folks, may we understand and know that Satan will attack us. And I was interested to learn this week. I, I remember studying this in, like, you know, biology or, or some, you know, uh, high school science that I slept most of, the, of my time through, unfortunately. Um, but you know that the North American uh, uh, bison, that when they, uh, they detect danger, and predatory uh, attack in, in their midst. Do you know what they do? They circle around the weak, elderly, and the, and the young of their herd, and they surround them to protect them. Like, like one bison's pretty, pretty scary to me. Like, I'm, I'm pretty terrified of just one. So imagine this circle, this, this, this wall of fortitude that is protecting those that are weak. That's how we should respond to spiritual attack, and that's what the community of faith does. And so Paul says, look, we were hindered, okay, verse 17, we were hindered for what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming, is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. So as we think about this, we're thinking about that community brings joy, that community brings spiritual attack at times, but ultimately community makes for greater joy in Christ. And what I mean by that is that when we see the work of Christ in each other's lives, that brings greater joy for us. When I see the work of the Holy Spirit moving and working and, and teaching you and growing you and, and dis, uh, disciplining you, and I see uh, repentance and I see spiritual growth, it, it brings greater joy to me as much as you should see that in my life and, and find greater joy in it as well. But if you're on an island by yourself, and you're growing spiritually, and there's no mirror around to look into, you may not recognize that by yourself you're growing. But someone may, could come to you in a community of faith and go, Brother, I just want to encourage you. I've really seen the Lord work in your life. The Holy Spirit change you and grow you. And I just want to encourage you with those words. How can you do that when you live in isolation? You can't experience that. And so community, Paul says, makes greater joy in Christ. And this is so interesting, this verse 19, because when we think about the question that Paul is asking, he says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? What an amazing question. What do we think that, that Paul would boast and, and enjoy and, and find hope in in the midst of Jesus returning to the earth? we think in our minds that the answer is not going to be you Thessalonians are our hope and our joy. 
we would think that his answer would be, Jesus is my hope and my joy. Right? And he's not being blasphemous here. He's just saying that when I see you, when Jesus returns, when I see you there worshiping Him and glorifying Him, not only am I finding joy and glory and, and, and confidence and excitement in seeing Jesus come, but I'm standing next to you worshiping in the same thing. And so that, that brother or sister that you guided and directed in the faith, when he, he or she is standing next to you and you are welcoming Jesus home to earth and you are celebrating, there is joy in that ultimately, but there is also joy in community with one another. Praise the Lord. That we have guided and directed and fed one another enjoying the work of Christ throughout our community of believers. Folks, Jesus is coming back. Amen. Jesus is coming back. And, and, I, and I don't know if, if, if you find joy in that. That needs to be a joy in our hearts and our minds every day. Jesus is coming back. Suffering will end. Death will be done. No more sin. No more death. No more suffering. No more trials, right? That is, that is constantly looking above and not looking to the earth. That's the focus that we need to have. But let me ask you something. You know when you go to a funeral and it's somebody that maybe you knew as a young person and, and they're you know, in their 70s or in their 80s and there's like six people there. Have you ever been to one of those funerals? It's really sad. You feel, you feel sadness for those people and, and it could be that, that their friends have all passed away. But I want you to think about this for a second. As Jesus is coming back, as Jesus is returning, if you had the opportunity to be surrounded by all the people that you invested in, in the earth, for the kingdom of God, if you had all the opportunity, if, if you can invite them to your house or, or wherever you are to say, hey, let's welcome Jesus together, how many people would be surrounding you? That's a, that's a difficult question to ask ourselves, right? Because folks, I believe in the church, it has to be more than our biological children. There are too many lost people in the world that come to know Christ that need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. So the community of faith, it cannot be just our, our, our kids. It has to be we, in, we are investing present tense in the lives of each other consistently and continually so that we are surrounded by a group of people at the coming of Jesus Christ. Because we will have greater joy and a crown of boasting, as Paul says. This is a, uh, a wreath that was given to athletes, this, this word crown. Sometimes it was an evergreen type uh, branch that was basically turned into a circle and given to an athlete. And oftentimes that, that crown was a sign not only of your victory, but the effort that went into your victory. Right? It ultimately, isn't that, that what a crown is? That trophy? Right? If you were like me and you just got all honorable mentions, those are worthless trophies. Okay, like Those are like, oh, thanks, you gave me a trophy for just being present. That's not very exciting. But when you get the first or the second place, it says, look, I didn't just do something off of a whim. I worked hard to get here. And Paul is saying this crown of boasting is you, Thessalonians. My ministry, my joy is in Christ and seeing you worship Christ. I would say it this way. We enjoy the rejoicing of other believers. That's what we do. We enjoy 
they're rejoicing. So that is the joy of community. Number two, the joy of perseverance. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For we, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, I, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about the, uh, your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in our distress and affliction, we have been comforted through, uh, about you through your faith. Now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Woo! That's a lot. Here's, here's the synopsis of, of that long... Paul is saying, I see your faith. I see the way you are standing firm in your trials and your sufferings. And so what my intention was is to comfort you and instead you comforted me. Instead of you com being comforted by Timothy, I was comforted by your faith. Here's a couple things you need to know about this ministry that Paul had. Paul, as we said, was stripped away from the Thessalonians. He continued on to Berea, and then he continued on to Athens and ended up in Corinth. But he was so concerned about this little church, this infant church, this church plant, that he was, he was so afraid, as he says, that the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So what does he do? He sends Timothy back. Okay? Notice he says, I wanted to come back, but Satan hindered us. Chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 2. So we sent Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 6, Timothy returns to us with the report. And finally, Paul says, and we are comforted by the report. That's the timeline that Paul is, is, is laying before us. Now, why has he given us all this historical information? Because I want you to imagine in suffering and affliction, as Paul is rushed out and, and the church is new and young and false teachers are coming into the church and they're trying to discredit Paul, what do you think the false teachers are saying to, uh, to these Thessalonians about Paul? Man, this Paul guy, this leader of your church, he doesn't love you. Where is he? If he really cares about you, where is this great Apostle Paul? And they begin to discredit his love and his affection for the Thessalonian church because he's not there. And so what is Paul trying to do? He's trying to show you, not only did I want to get back to you, not only did I want to be in your presence seeing you face to face, but I sent Timothy. And Timothy came back to us with a report. Do you understand that in the distance that Timothy had to travel probably from at least Corinth or Athens back to Thessalonica and then back to Paul, that's a month journey? That's one month. 
So Paul is there waiting and, and, and anxiously, you know, there, there's no uh, instant messenger or, or, or Twitter that, that, you know, Timothy's like, hey, they're doing good. Faith is strong. Be back soon. I mean, he, he, that's not there. So one month, Paul is waiting anxious like a mother or, daughter or father that is separated from their children. And he gets this report and he finds these things out. What does he find out? Look in verse 9 or verse 8. For this reason, in our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Paul says, we sent Timothy to teach you, to exhort you in your faith. And we were comforted and said. Look at Timothy, first of all, Timothy as the reinforcement. You know, in any war, a lot of times the, the front line gets weak and reinforcements have to be sent in. Timothy was the reinforcements. As Paul says, I sent Timothy to exhort you, to admonish you, or yours may say establish and exhort you in your faith. What does he mean? Timothy goes to them. He goes back to Thessalonica. He doesn't sit with the Thessalonian church and go, all right, everybody, sit back on this, this chair right here and tell me how you feel. Tell me, what have you experienced and, and what is that, how does that make you feel? That's not how Timothy worked. That's not how the Apostle Paul worked. When we are exhorted in the faith, when we are admonished in the faith, when we are encouraged in the faith, folks, when you see that in Scripture, it always includes the words of God. It, we are not encouraged just by a pat on the back or a chest bump, if that's your thing. We are encouraged by the Holy Scriptures because it has the power to comfort us in ways that human words cannot comfort. That's right. And so we come to each other in difficulties, folks. We should know the Word of God and lay that Word of God upon those that are suffering. That's how we comfort. That's how we exhort. And so Timothy comes and he says, Folks, I know you're struggling, but let me encourage you and, 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 and give you support with the Word of God. Matter of fact, the word there for establish actually means to give support like a crutch to a, a handicapped person, like a cane to an old man, or like a stake to a, a young tree. Something that's going to allow that, that, that person to have support and, and, and have a, a firm foundation to lean upon. That's what the Word of God does in our lives more than we do that to each other. And so, folks, let me encourage you, when you go to that person's house that has just lost a loved one, have Scripture to share with them. That's what they need. They need your presence. Don't tweet them a, a Scripture verse. That's not what they need. <laughs> they need your presence and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to comfort them. And they've got the Holy Spirit if they're believers in Christ. So what's missing in that recipe? Your presence and the Holy Scriptures. And so, so he goes to exhort them, and he's, I, I totally believe that that is central to the Word of God because the next word that's used is parakaleo, which means to preach, to instruct. Again, using the Word of God. Why? So Paul says, so you are not shaken by these sufferings. So you are not shaken by your afflictions. And then he says what has been said throughout this letter, throughout 1 Peter, throughout the ministry of Jesus. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We are destined, we are appointed as believers in Jesus Christ to suffer. 
When we, he says in verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Folks, you don't have to live in the Middle East to suffer affliction as a believer in Christ. Satan is not just over there attacking churches over there. He is attacking all of us. He wants to destroy our faith. He wants to destroy our belief and trust in the promises of God. He wants us to, to fight with our, our spouses and our families. He wants us to be distracted from the gospel ministry and the work that He has given us. And He is doing that knowing that His end is coming. He is ruthlessly doing all that He can to distract our work in the gospel. And so what we must do is come together and shore up our foundations in the Word of God not allowing Him to attack us in the way that He wants. To fight back the way that Christ fighted back in the wilderness with the Word of God. But let me just tell you that even as Timothy is sent as a reinforcement, he is also sent to comfort. Because when we show up at that person's house to share uh, or, or to be there physically and we share the Word of God, our presence is still important because we are the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if I could say it this way, the Word of God comes through the community for comfort. It's a part of the, of the recipe. It's a part of the formula. You know why? Because we can help understand and, 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 and suffer with our, our brothers and sisters. You know, I can look out into this group right here and I can see different things that you go through. And a lot of things that you are going through as a church and as individuals and as families, I haven't gone through in my family. And so there are things that I can't relate to even though I can uh, try to comfort you with the Word of God because the Word of God is sufficient and it's universal and it's eternal and it, it applies to our needs and our cares and our difficulties in this world. And so my presence is going to be there and the Word of God is going to be there even if I don't understand. So can we, can we turn away from the thought, well, they don't really understand me. That's not our purpose to understand. Our purpose is to love you regardless of us understanding. Amen. And so we go in community to love. And I am so thankful that this, this group of believers have surrounded each other in love. I'm going to tell you, I've had testimony after testimony already of saying, I, I felt so much love in this small group of believers in, in the birth of our child or the death of a loved one or my, my, my son or daughter's difficulties. I have felt the love of community. And folks, I'm going to tell you, that goes all to the praise of Jesus Christ. Because we love each other because we first love Him. And if you don't desire to be with the community of Christ, you may not desire to be with Jesus. And that is a heart issue, that is a spiritual issue, because you don't understand that we are one body, in one spirit, in one uh, fellowship together, because of one Savior, Jesus Christ. And we learn and grow and are sanctified by the faith of each other. John Calvin says that the fellowship which ought to subsist between the saints and the members of Christ extends even thus far that the faith of one is the consolation of others. Man, I'm going to tell you, your faith in your trials is a blessing to me. 
It is a blessing to me. I learned so much from you. And I pray that we will learn so much from each other. Look in verse 10. Paul concludes here. I'm going to go back, but he says, he says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. That word supply is a counseling word. And it's used in the New Testament for fishermen that take nets that are broken where fish are swimming through and they mend the nets. And so the, the idea here is, is that when we go to each other and supply what is lacking in their faith, we are going with the Word of God and we are trying to mend the nets of brokenness in their life through the Word of God. That's what we're trying to do. Because we know in ourselves, we don't have the power to, to heal the brokenness, so we point them to Christ and the Word of God that says, He is our comfort. He is our strength. He is our refuge in suffering and difficulty. And of course, as I just said before, as we approach, as we approach people to comfort them, their faith is a comfort to us. And that's what he says to the people in Thessalonia. Verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason in our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. What is Paul saying? We sent Timothy... And his report to us about you was a comfort to us. Because guess what? Paul continued to suffer. Paul continued to go city to city, spreading the gospel, facing retaliation and persecution. And he was continually going into jail and being beaten and whipped and stoned. And what did he do? He found faith and he found hope and he found confidence not only in Christ but in reports like Timothy where Timothy is coming back and saying this young church is walking with the Lord. Find hope in that. Find joy in that. That what you, have, uh, what you are doing in the gospel ministry, may, it may not look like there's a lot of fruit at first. It may not look like there's anything really sprouting up. But brother, let me remind you that they are walking with the Lord. Your fruit uh, your work is not in vain. It is fruitful. And so we trust that as we spread the gospel and we take the gospel to the nations, that that word of God will not return void, that he, we will plant and we will sow and He will water according to His own wisdom and, and sovereignty and, and that He gets the glory for the growth, right? And yet we can be encouraged by the mutual faith and the mutual perseverance and the mutual love that we have for one another. Why? Because as a body of Christ, that's what we're here for. So if I can look at this passage, I can look at this passage and I can preach this passage to a group of pastors and say, look at the ministry of Paul to his, his churches that he ministered to. But folks, this isn't written to pastors. This is written to a church. This is written to brothers and sisters in Christ who walk with the same Holy Spirit that Paul had, who had the same Holy Scriptures that Paul had, and who are called to the same calling that Paul was called to. And so as we close this morning thinking about the joy that we have in, in the faithfulness of, of spiritual children, in the, in the community of believers, may I exhort you and, and challenge you to find joy in one another's faith. 
To find joy and comfort in each other as we walk through trials. To learn from one another. How did you, how did you sustain and remain in that situation? How did God give you strength and shore up your faith? Learn from one another. Young people, learn from the older people in your congregation. Don't call them older people. They don't like that. But learn from them. Learn from them because they have so much to teach you about the life that you have yet to live and the walk in Christ that they have learned throughout these many years. And it is so fitting at the end of this message this morning that we will take the Lord's Supper. That we will come together and say that we will now unite as the body of Christ believing that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, that we have personally trusted in His work alone for salvation, that we cannot attain salvation by being good people or, or, or by fulfilling a certain religious obligation, but that we believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone, that all that He accomplished on the cross will save us. We are coming together to affirm those things together. And so if you can affirm those things together with us, then we invite you, whether you are a member of Redemption Community Church or not, we invite you to come and partake of this memorial.